welcome to another episode of The Grueling Truth. I'm your host, Mike Goodpaster. We've got a great show, as always, for you tonight. First, let me welcome in, as always, my NFL guest host, which is Matt Andrew Scavage. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. All right, so tonight it's been like a month since we've had a 49er on, and everybody knows how pouty Matt gets if we don't have a 49er on just once a month. So he can bring up all the Super Bowls his team's won and how pathetic my team is. Because, I mean, everybody is. We were talking to Dexter earlier. I was telling him how Matt always bullies me. So everybody knows that, too. I get all kind of tweets that people really feel sorry for me all the time, too. So (laughs) without any further ado, I'm going to introduce one of the top kick returners in the NCAAs in the 1980s up through 1989. Played at Florida State for legendary Bobby Bowden. Um, then he went on with the San Francisco 49ers, um, one of their main, probably their main kick returner, 1994 Super Bowl 29 season. Help me welcome to the Grueling Truth, Dexter Carter. Hey, it's a pleasure being on the Grueling Truth with Mike and Matt. Well, well it's great to have you. Here. Hey, appreciate All right, it, man. So Looking let's forward get started to from the Okay, let's get started from the beginning. Just tell us a little bit about your childhood, at what age you started playing football. Well, I started playing at eight years old and um, got involved because, uh, one, my mom loved the Dallas Cowboys. So I became a Dallas Cowboy fan from eight years old and thought I was Tony Dorsett. So from Pop Warner on, that's exactly who I was, Tony D out in the yard. And um, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, yeah, man. So I ended up, uh, you know, from eight years old playing up through Pop Warner and middle school and high school and um and obviously, everybody probably knows some of the story from that point on, but I'm sure we'll fill it in throughout this show. So, Dexter, uh, what made you want to play your college football at uh, Florida State? Well, um, coming up through high school, um, you know, I was a 150-pound running back as a sophomore and junior in college and had uh, – what some of the reporters in the state of Georgia called a whopping like Herschel Walker uh, season. My junior year, I had 1,800 yards rushing, and uh, I went to my high school coach, and I said, uh, hey, coach, I'd like to, you know, go to a a football camp, you know, because I was getting some notoriety, but, uh, you know, I wasn't getting any offers. So um, he uh, came back to me about two weeks before the summer uh, after my junior year, and he had one application, and I just knew it was the University of Georgia because I was a I wasn't a uh, I was a Bulldog and a Atlanta Falcon fan, but it was it was definitely not a Georgia application. It was a Florida State, and that was back in like 1985, and uh, and it was Florida State, and I had never heard of them, and uh, I'm glad he did it because when I went to Florida State that summer, and out of 300 and some kids. Uh, you know, Leroy Butler, the Green Bay great, was part of that camp there, and we both went in as freshmen together at Florida State. But nonetheless, I was uh, the fastest kid in the in the camp and uh, and one of the smallest. So I did enough to get Coach Bowden's attention, who offered me a scholarship. And um, he had me at Hello. That's when I learned about who Bobby Bowden was and man of his word and an honorable man. And um, no matter who came calling my senior year, Bobby Bowden had me that summer. So, uh, uh, and, and an interesting part of that story is uh, about eight years ago, I finally went to my high school coach 
who's a very good friend of mine, and I asked him, I said, why out of all the teams around the southeast and the country, why Florida State? And he said, because I knew coming from a small town and you being a small player, although very talented, that I had to get you in front of coaches so they can see your talent. And he said at that time, um, Florida State coaching staff was one of the very few coaching staff that actually ran their football camp. So he knew if I got in front of those coaches that my talent would um, uh, show them, you know, what my ability was, and it worked out great for me. Um, you mentioned Bobby Bowden, one of the greatest college football coaches in history. Just, Do you have any memorable stories about him, or just what kind of man was he to play for? Oh, man, you know, what you see is what you get. A lot of people, probably about 95% of the people that ever talk to me about Coach Bowden and say, man, was he really real or is that all a front? And I say, no, he's that Christian of a man, and, you know, he loves his boys and sometimes to a fault. Um, a lot of people think he gives you, you know, second, third chances, but, you know, he's a father figure. And he tells your fam, uh, parents whenever you go to school there that he's going to, you know, take care of you. He's going to punish you whenever you do something wrong, and he's going to love you, you know, the same. So um, he, um, uh, he he just, in my opinion, still today, I called his house two days ago, and Ms. Ann answered the phone, and she said, well, Bobby's not here, but he's coughing. As soon as he comes in, I tell him to call you. <laughs> you know? And what's crazy <laughs> is anybody, anybody that uh, uh, can walk right up to his house, man, in Tallahassee, that is crazy. He still will say, hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, to anybody who walks up to the door is crazy. But uh, that's the kind of guy he is. And um, I tell you, one, a, a story about him is my freshman year. Um, every freshman that comes in, he always had you fill out a card, uh, a five-by-seven index card, saying what were your goals for that year. And, you know, you got this freshman coming in at 165 pounds and, uh, uh, well, actually more like 150, but I was just imagining that I, I was soaking wet and I was 165 pounds. But anyway, uh, he, he had me uh, fill out this card along with the other freshmen. And my goal was to start as a freshman. And he tells this story, and he told it every year in football camps. I had high school coaches tell me this over the years. He said, man, this freshman just says that, hey, he wants to start. I guess he didn't know about Sammy Smith, who was a sophomore coming into that year and was a high school hopeful. But he quickly learned it didn't matter who, you know, it's kind of like I tell people and I tell my teams that I coach, it's not who we play, it's how we play. And that's the way I felt as a player. I always was feisty, but I had to be because I was always smaller than everybody else, so I had to do a little bit more to prove my worth. And that's what I felt. I didn't care who was in front of me. Um, I just knew that if I gave the energy and effort that I knew I was capable of doing or giving, then I knew I would have a chance to compete. And um, so he laughed at me and, and you know behind the scenes. But it's interesting, once training camp was over and I had a chance to get on that field, I actually was second team. I bypassed everybody except Sammy, but then I ended up still starting the very first game because Sammy got hurt. And I always tell a tell a, a joke pertaining to that story. I say, you know, um, uh, up at the football players' apartments, um, I scoped Sammy out one evening, 
and uh, I hid behind the cars. And when he walked out, he didn't see me, and I hit him with a billy club in the knee. <laughs> so, 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 so I could start that first game. Everybody thinks it's kind of funny, and then I have to admit I was just joking. But nonetheless, I still started my freshman year first game because Sammy did get hurt, and and you know, and uh, but that's the way I went throughout my whole career. I just outworked, I outworked people, and uh, did the same thing as a freshman, uh, a rookie at, at San Francisco. I worked my way up to second team behind Roger Craig, and you know, when Roger got hurt. Uh, about four or five games into the season, my rookie year, I ended up, you know, starting enough games to lead the team in rush in my rookie year. Right. Um, when you know, in college, um, you know, you you getting ready to graduate and and get uh, you know, go into the NFL. And uh, as you look back, um, either now or even back then, when you're getting ready to go to the NFL, what were your most uh, most memorable game for your favorite moments looking back at your collegiate career? Oh, man. You know, of course, my freshman year uh, playing one of our two biggest rivals, which was, you know, Miami and Florida State. I mean, Miami and University of Florida. But uh, uh, the Miami game, my freshman year on CBS National Television with with, uh, Brent Musburger um, announcing a game and uh, had a chance to – uh, we had a throwback on a kickoff return that um, we had been working on for weeks, you know, maybe about three to five weeks, and uh, you never know when you're going to use it, but we just practiced it just in case. And nobody knew we were going to use it my freshman year. You know, Vinny Testaverde was the quarterback, you know, for the Hurricanes, and they had Michael Irvin, you know, all those great guys back in, you know, in the uh, in 1986. And, um uh, we get ready to go out there for the kickoff return, and Coach Bowden calls the throwback. And I take it back 100, well, it was a 105-yard kickoff return, although I only took it back 90 yards, uh, 95 yards, because Keith Ross brought it out of the end zone, threw it back across field to me. And if you ever watch it on YouTube, um, I scooped it up like a shortstop. I always tell people, hey, I had some baseball skills and was pretty good in <laughs> baseball too. And maybe we'll share that story some other time, but – uh, but but yeah, that was a memorable moment of my co- collegiate career, and then um, and Miami also was another memorable one. My senior year, um, I uh, first play of the game, I took it back forty-five yards for a touchdown. You know, on um, first play, well, actually, Leroy Butler intercepted the ball, the first play of the game from Gino Toretta, and then I took it back about forty-five yards. You know, around the left corner, uh, which is also on YouTube. Um, you know, so uh, and uh, that was the year that Miami won the national championship, although we beat them. So that was kind of weird. Um, but un- but unfortunately, they beat Miami later in the year, which was obviously a key game for them that kind of propelled them back up ahead of us. And but uh, those two games against Miami were great. I had some you know really good uh, uh, University of Florida games. You know where Sammy Smith and I would both have a hundred yards against University of Florida and. That was when Emmett Smith was there. So those are great moments. Um, man, man, uh, of course, the two fails to bowls against University of uh, Nebraska and um, have a chance to just play very well in those games. So uh, some great memorable uh, moments for me in college. Well, then you go to the NFL. You're drafted in the first round by the defending world champions. Um 
What were your expectations going into the season? And then as you talked about, Roger Craig gets injured. You took over. Um, what was it like for you as a rookie to step in for a longtime starter for the current Super Bowl champions? Um, well, before I get to that part of the story, I have to bring people current on why I feel I ended up a first-rounder because my senior year, um, you know, uh, three out of my four years, um, we were uh, ranked in the top three teams in the country. Uh, we were three in the country twice and two in the country, country once, but we could never get past University of Miami. And then when we did get past University of Miami, um, unfortunately, the first game of my senior year, Brett Favre, and many people forget who Michael Jackson was and not the singer, but Michael Jackson, the receiver, receiver. that played for the Cleveland Browns for a right, right for a number of years. Man, my freshman year, we played Southern Miss in the uh, in the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, and they they snuck up on us and stunned us. <laughs> you know, that's when Brett Favre, you know, name kind of surfaced on what he could be, and um, but uh, but and then we ended up losing to Clemson the second game of the season. So we ended up having to come back and tear everybody else up to pull back up in the top three in the country. But uh, we were a majority passing team uh, my senior year. So I finished the season with uh, about 700 yards rushing. So when you think about that and you wonder why did a guy become a first-round draft pick for the defending Super Bowl champions, well, at the end of the season, I don't believe that I was a uh, – uh, first-round prospect. What occurred was I ended up uh, being selected in the Senior Bowl and played for Buddy Ryan, who loved to hit. And um, we played against Marty Schottenheimer and the uh, South uh, and the uh, North team. And um, uh, I ended up having a great week in practice and doing a lot of things that they didn't think that a small guy could do. Uh, I ended up you know, having a great rushing day, receiving day, and um, uh, got MVP on the uh, uh, offensive M MVP on the South squad. So after that game, you know, uh, before the game, I was a projected third through fifth round draft pick, which is pretty much third round is where I was projected. And then after that senior bowl, and then I went to the combine and kind of blew that away and was the fastest running back in the combine at 4.34 and have 38 vertical. And and then um, after the senior bowl, and then after the combine, you know, Mike Mike Holgram, um, uh, offensive coordinator for the 49ers, came through Tallahassee and put me through a grueling workout and uh, plays that the 49ers would run. And by the time that workout was over, um, you know, my projection had skyrocketed. So, uh, you know, there was a number of teams that were interested in me in the first round. But uh, I felt comfortable that if the 49ers had a chance when their pick came around, that there was a possibility that they, they would draft me. And um, being the two-time defending champions, they pretty much had every position locked down in San Francisco. But they were looking for somebody to, um, you know, to be a possible backup, not necessarily a starter, because I don't think I was drafted to be a starter. But they were in a position to draft, I call it for luxury at that point in time. And um, uh, right. so so when they drafted me, I was I was pretty confident and happy you know, to go out to the Bay Area and 
do like you know who was it Sam Cooke that sang the song from Georgia to the Sa- to the Frisco Bay. Yeah, uh, it, you remember that song? Well, that's what I felt yeah. like. So um, you know, <laughs> but uh, but but going out there as a rookie, I didn't have any expectations. I had the same thing I had as a freshman at, in high school and as a freshman in college. You know what? Don't let anybody outwork me. Um, uh, have a lot of energy and effort, and just my God-given talent and abilities. You know, be exposed, and that's what I did my uh, rookie year, and had a chance to work my way up, you know, through the depth chart and be second team coming into the season. So, um, at some point, you know, uh, uh, if if you're not who you say you are, or your worth ethic isn't what you say it is, or your abilities on what they say it is, at some point. It's not about fooling people, you know, because you can't fool professional football coaches, the Mike Holgram and the George Seifers and those kind of guys. So um, by the time my uh, training rookie training camp was over, I felt like I, I belonged. I felt like that I, I could, you know, contribute to the team. Um, but everything was new for me at that time. And my uh, rookie year was so important to me as far as training camp because there was one guy that was instrumental and uh, I believe helping Mike Holgram and um, uh, become confident in me, and that was Joe, Joe Montown. Joe believed in my abilities and um, spoke on my behalf. I, I believe he never told me that, but I know he had to because everything on that offense was through Joe. And uh, when Roger Craig went down uh, the fifth, I believe the fifth game of the season, uh, Mike Holgram didn't even hesitate to, pulled me right into the lineup. But as I said, once again, I moved into uh, second team run, uh, running back, but I don't think they drafted me to be the guy to start. But uh, to have a chance to fill in for Roger Craig and, in my opinion, fill in admirably, um, I think, you know, leading the team in rushing as a rookie, you know, um, even going through the growing pains of a rookie uh, still – stands out in my mind and, 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 and a rookie year that I'm proud of. Right. So, you know, you, you basically, um, you, know, you step in for Roger and obviously you, you, you gotta be feeling a little bit of pressure. You're playing for the world champions. They had, you know, I think they started off, I believe, uh, 10 and all, uh, had a loss to the Rams, won the showdown against the giants. And then as you're trying to lock up home field advantage, guys are playing against the Rams and um you know they're up only by single digits and you rip off your first touchdown a 74 yard run that not only iced the game but I believe it iced um home field advantage to the playoffs yeah so what did that that, what yeah go ahead talk about that game and what that meant for you personally yeah yeah I believe um I'm not. I think that was the first game that I started. I believe. I'm not really sure, but nonetheless, it was on Monday Night Football, and um, yeah. Uh, all I can recall, even when I see it today, I look at it, and all I say is, "Man, Joe Montana gave me the ball." <laughs> but, but that was a 74-yard <laughs> uh, touchdown run that, um, you know, for the first time, exemplified my breakaway speed that uh, they drafted me for. And um, I remember Ronnie Lott. Um, see, Ronnie probably was the toughest 49er that you had to prove your worth to. Ronnie, Ronnie never spoke to me 
until the Monday after that game. Now, on the sideline he did, but, but I mean, he, I felt comfortable having a conversation with him because um, we were practicing on Monday, and um, I had ran a play, and I went, you know, 60 yards down the field like we all did at that time, and running was on the sideline on a knee. And I was jogging back to the huddle, and he said, hey, rookie, good job, man. And I was like, dang, Ronnie said hello, man. He said something to me, you know. But 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 you had to prove yourself to those guys. And um, that game was instrumental um, along with the rest of the season, proving myself to, you know, the biggest guy that you had to convince, which was Ronnie Lott. So um, uh, uh, I think. You know, Joe had already had convinced um, without words and having run in. And Roger Craig was the greatest mentor that I could have ever had. And he's still a great guy today, um, hadn't changed a bit. So um, I couldn't have had a great group of guys to learn the profession from and how to deal professionally with the good and bad that comes. You know, because there's always good and bad, you know, because you don't always have a good game. So, But you've got to be able to compartmentalize things and uh, and move forward, you know, from a business perspective. And I hope that I learned and I um, uh, represented the 49ers and those players well uh, as I continue to develop through my career. Hey, for anybody tuning in, I want to remind you we're speaking to Dexter Carter, former San Francisco 49er running back. Um, let's go. The 1990 season ended with a heartbreaking loss to the Raiders and the or to the Giants in the NFC Championship. Roger Craig ended up moving on, signing with the Raiders. Talk about the off season and what the camp battle for the starting position was like that next year. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, before I tell you about the battle, um, uh, that NFC Championship game, um, the possibility of going to three straight Super Bowls, uh, four minutes left in the game, we're – we they have no timeouts. We're on their forty yard line, so really all we've got to do is just you know run the timeout and we win the game. So oh, and everybody, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 four minutes to go, and they had no timeouts. And um, unfortunately, um, you know there was a mishandle on the handoff between Joe and and Roger. The ball pops up in the air and the ball goes right into Lawrence Taylor's hands. So yeah. uh, he gets tackled. So Hosteller takes the Giants down the field. Uh, there's about four seconds left on the clock. They're on the, about the 8- to 10-yard line. And I remember the coaches. I had never been on field goal block in my life. And for some reason, I think that I was know. you that dives. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I forgot about that. And, and and they said, Dexter, get in there. And I'm like, what? I don't know how to block no kick. <laughs> you know, um, and, I had, and I had never practiced on it. So I was the closest one to the ball, but surely not close enough to even block it. Um, but all I, all I remember is being on the ground, looking back and seeing that ball go through the uprights. And I felt terrible because, you know, when you're a rookie, and you had the team has had a great year in my opinion, and we're that close to NFC championship. You know, another appearance in the NFC championship game. Um, 
with pretty much a guarantee, you know, whoever won the NFC usually goes to the Super Bowl and wins it. So um, we go in the locker room, and everybody saw the game was over so much. Everything was still in our locker room. The most terrible thing that a rookie ever could experience, the champagne was still in there, the uh, shirts, NFC champion, uh, uh, champions were um, – uh, shirts were in there. I mean, all the celebration stuff. So you know, somebody was heartbroken. I was heartbroken, man, uh, to the point to where I learned very quickly, if you're ever in the NFL and you are uh, uh, and you're in you're in the NFC Championship game and you lose, the Super Bowl is guaranteed. You won't be watching it because you're so hurt and you know dejected. There's no reason to watch it. Um, you surely won't be going to the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I went to four NFC Championship games, lost three of them. So there were three Super Bowls that I just said to heck with it. You know, I had other plans during the Super Bowl um, while the Super Bowl game was on. But, uh, but well, I Dexter, I Dexter, real quick, I would like to thank you because the 1990 NFC Championship game – Every time we talk to a San Francisco 49er, is always skipped over because Matt does the questions for the 49er players, <laughs> and he always He's skips over me. that game. So <laughs> it's true, all. though, Matt. you got to admit it. Because every yeah, time well, I bring a game, I'd be like, oh, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that. Yeah, well, hey, well, but hopefully you know what? The 1990 NFC Championship game is one of the most underrated great games in NFL history. It was a great game. It really was. Absolutely. Absolutely, it was a great game, and um, you know, and one of those that went down to the wire. So uh, it was one of those that we should have had, but it just goes to show you that in this game of football, anything can happen. And in that game, you know, it did. It looked like we had a game one, and you know, it is what it is. So um, we, uh, you know, we lived to play another year, and um, going into the next season, just to kind of. Uh, uh, jump on what you said later. Um, Roger Craig was gone, and I learned something then. Roger Craig and Ronnie Lott, I believe that was the year that they uh, uh, Ronnie went to the Raiders. No, they both went to the Raiders, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah they both. And um, and uh, and then the next year was the Joe, you know, situation, and I learned very quickly that the NFL, what NFL really meant, and that was not for long, and no matter how much you do for an organization, when they think you're too old or they think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's time to go, then they're going to ship you out. So um, when you're young in your career, you don't think about it. But when you see some great 49ers like that be shipped out and then – you start witnessing the Joe Montana and Steve Young transition. Uh, it bring a lot of things to the surface, and uh, uh, from a reality perspective. Um, but uh, but but once Roger left, um, I knew that once again, as I said, they didn't bring me in to start. Uh, but I knew based on my performance that I would have a chance to start. But uh, I believe Keith Henderson. Um, was our big back and would get most of the uh, carries um, for that 1991 season, and we, you know, we pretty much shared the background, uh, the backfield 
that year, although I started, but um, but I knew he would get most of the carries. He was a big, strong back, and you know, and I filled in, and uh, I think I had like 385 yards rushing that year. I'm not sure what he had. Hey, real quick, let me remind everybody: this is the live part of the show will be over in 90 seconds. So if you're listening now, it'll cut off at the bottom of the hour, but at the top of the hour, midnight. Just go to the Grueling Truth Facebook page or the Blog Talk page, or you can find us on Twitter also. You click on there, you can get the last 15 minutes of archive time there. So, Matt, I think the next question is yours. Yes, sir. So, yeah, after the uh, the 91 season, a lot of a lot of change in the regard, like we talked about. Uh, you know, Steve's a starter now, and you know, you're like like we talked about earlier. You know, you're right, you're right in the middle of the. Um, the Joe and Steve quarterback controversy um, leading into the 92 season. Uh, anything you want to share about uh, the, the quarterback controversy? And and then uh, we shipped right into the uh, the Dallas Cowboy rivalry that uh, you're yep. right in the heart of as well. So you had all kinds of stuff going on. I know, I know, and I wish I could share it all. But, 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 but being a young guy, I learned a lot of stuff. And one of them was, again, Joe was part of that. Uh, Roger Craig running lot, you know, um, Exodus. Um, Joe came a year later. But, uh, uh, you know, just seeing the great player that Joe Montana was and the transition was kind of interesting to me because um, even when Joe came back and was healthy and could have started, um, just like those other guys could have continued to start, running lot could have. But uh, I, uh, uh, Steve Young, and I won my Super Bowl with him. He's a great guy, and, you know, and I love him. You know, um, but Joe Cool, Joe Cool was something else. But the thing that I realized is uh, uh, Steve became very, very uncomfortable with Joe around because Joe still had that aura of Joe. And Joe um, <laughs> never came out to practice with us, even though he was healthy. He used to have to come out after practice because Steve didn't feel very comfortable with, you know, Joe looking over his shoulder. And, you know, and I kind of can understand a little bit, but what I couldn't understand is, man, that's Joe Montana, you know. But uh, <laughs> but Joe used to come out after practice, and him and, him and Jerry would, you know, throw his routes and all that kind of stuff, uh, which was kind of a weird situation. But, you know, at that time, um, the 49ers realized that they were transitioning to Steve and, Steve pretty much, you know, what Steve wanted, Steve pretty much got it at that point in time. Well, you talked 1992 and 93. The 49ers had a couple great seasons, but the Cowboys kept getting the best of them. Can you talk a little bit about the Dallas-San Francisco rivalry in the 90s and what it meant to you to be a part of that? Oh, yeah, i tell you what it it, it meant to me. It, uh, you know, I told you my mom was a Cowboy fan, so I grew up a Cowboy fan. So I had to grow to hate the Cowboys. <laughs> no, I had to. I did because you know there was what four years there that uh, three or four years that it was back to back. You know us and the Cowboys, and um, so uh, uh, they were a great team. Just got to you know admit that, and we knew that if uh, we got to the NFC Championship game, it was going to be us against them. So. Um, uh, it's frustrating to know that there's about, you know, three more Super Bowl rings that uh, are on their fingers that should have been on mine. But um, but I tell you, I wouldn't have had it any other way to have a chance to be in a game that uh, I don't think there's two teams that 
probably play that consistently against year in and year out that you knew that whoever won was going to win the Super Bowl. So um, I'm glad I had that experience, you know, with the 49ers and playing against the Cowboys and having the experience of having Dion come over, play with us, then leave us and go play with Dallas, you know, after playing with Dion, you know, at San Francisco and and with uh, the Seminoles and just seeing, you know, the great impact he had just being, in my opinion, you know, one of the greatest NFL players of all time. Exactly. Agreed with that. Um, so 1994 comes around, um, gets the free agents in there. It uh, looks like, you know, this might be the year we find, the Niners finally – vanquish the Cowboys. Um, so, you know, go through some injuries earlier on in the season. Um, you know, you're the, you're, you were the primary kick returner and the punt returner. You had a, a big kick return against the Redskins uh, at RFK to uh, basically seal that game, setting up the Dallas game the next week, which won that. Um, but, you know, during the season, you know, with Dion there, uh, there was always talks about uh, Dion lobbying to get on special teams, get on offense, and you know you're the primary uh, kick returner and punt returner. Um, is there truth to that? And if so, uh, what was that like for you and uh, going through that? Well, you know, one um, uh, remind me just in case I get off track. But uh, when Dion came to San Francisco, um, one I knew his abilities as a kick return guy. Um, I knew that if I was to hold him off, because the 49ers were going to play the best players at the position, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people still would say, hey, well, Dion still was the best kick returner, you know, possibly in the league. Well, um, I, if you look back at 1994, um, which was my Closest year that I came to making a Pro Bowl because I was second in in uh, the NFC in um, uh, in, in, in punt returns and in the top five in uh, kickoff returns and I think I had over a ten yard punt return average and um, just had a successful year. But nonetheless, um, Dion was campaigning, you know. But I think it's like. Um, if productivity is positive, then it's hard to change what's happening, and that's the way it was with me. And, you know, I was having great productivity, and um, no matter how much he campaigned for it, I held him off based on my performance. So, um, but, hey, that that was my guy. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad he came because the one – I had a number of players from Harris Barton, you know, who was a great offensive tackle for the 49ers, um, Jerry Rice. They all came to me when Dion, when it was thought that he was coming to the 49ers. And um, they said, Dexter, uh, is he really a cancer in the locker room? And I told every one of them, I said, guys, if you play against Dion, you're going to hate him. Because all you see is the flash and dash, all you all you see is the jury, all you see is the selfishness and the arrogance. But I said, in the locker room, there is no greater locker room teammate. And um, and and every one of those guys that came, Guy McIntyre is one of them. Every one of them that came to me inquiring, would he be a cancer? 
came back after the fact and said, you were right, because that's just the type of player he is. Now, once the lights come on, I told him, I said, now, I'm just telling you now, when the lights come on, when you go on road trips, <laughs> hey, when you walk out of that front door, hey, prime time is going to be at the forefront. It is what it is. Hey, you know, but he did what he planned to do when he came to Florida State. He knew playing DB, he was not going to get paid a lot of money. And he knew if he was going to get paid a lot of money, he had to transition into, um, he had to morph into a super character. And he perfected it about as well as anybody I think has perfected uh, a, a second personality or however you want to call it. And he did it with skill and elegance. So, um, but again, every one of them loved him. Jerry Rice, you even had Jerry dancing a little bit after a touchdown or two. Steve even got a little got a little funky with it every now and then, you know. But uh, but they loved him. You know, they loved him. He was different. You know, they doesn't mean they were going to hang out with him after practice, you know. But um, but once we were in that locker room, in between those lines, he was the consummate teammate. Well, we got about five minutes left. Um, I do want to touch on one thing, though. Your first four years, you got very close to the Super Bowl three of those four years. What was it like in 1994 for you to finally play in and win a Super Bowl? Oh, it was it was crazy. Not only crazy and exciting because I finally got the one. You know, it, it it didn't completely erase those memories of my rookie year when I went into that locker room and saw all the champagne and all that still in there after a loss. Um, but uh, it happened at the perfect time for me because one, my home was Fort Lauderdale. So with the Super Bowl being in Fort Lauderdale slash Miami, it was awesome having a whole week there and having Coach Seifert allow me to stay at home, you know, for a few days, you know, um, and then, you know, the last, you know, couple days, you know, uh, at the team hotel. It was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. It was surreal. Um, The whole thing was – kind of hard to really explain. Even even Kathleen Gifford, who, in my opinion, had the worst national anthem ever, I still enjoyed it, you know, because it was a national anthem at the Super Bowl. And I hope she's not <laughs> listening. I hope she's not listening because she's a wonderful lady. But, but, uh, but, you know, we've had much better national anthems, you know what I'm saying? But uh, she did an admirable job, though. But it was great, though. The Super Bowl was just awesome, especially after having so many um, uh, missed opportunities, you know, with the Cowboys, you know, and then uh, my rookie year against the Giants. So, you know, the fourth time um, was the charm. Well, um, we're going to kind of just sum up the the, the rest. Basically, uh, you know, 95 um, I was sad to see you go, but obviously, you know, it's a business and you got to do what's what's right for you and your family and stuff. And so you, when you moved out of the Jets, um, I was glad when you came back and became the, the first player in the history of the NFL, I believe, to play set all 17 games in a regular season because of the way the bye week fell. Um, and then uh, you had the big punt return um, against the, the Vikings. I remember where I was uh, when, I, when I saw that. I was glad to have you back. 
Um, I did get a a tweet from one from Denise, Kathy Lee Gifford, uh, was it? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't from Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> I did, I did get a, I did get a tweet come through from uh, Denise Niner Hines, uh, the Niner Queen. She says. <laughs> Um, she wants to know what do you think the 49ers need to do differently with the set of running backs we have today compared to what we have been used to with uh, with Frank Gore? Oh, you know what? One, we all know Frank Gore is still a great running back, and he's gonna, yeah. you know, hopefully they won't play against the Niners, but he's gonna, he's in the perfect system there in Indianapolis and got the best quarterback situation he can be in, other than Kaepernick. But um, Hyde. I knew when we drafted Hyde, if we'd have talked before then, I'd have said Hyde is the future. And I see a situation just like the great 49ers that I saw pushed out. I see him eventually, unfortunately, pushing Gore out. And um, although Gore still got some years, but Hyde is going to be a great, in my opinion, a great running back and bringing in, um, and we just brought in Bush, right? Yes. Yes. And he I wants to do punt returns. Hey. I think they should let him. He, I'm telling you, I think he increased the value of that 49er team, increased the punt return abilities, and increased that second team running back who can who still has it as a receiver out of the backfield and just getting the ball to him in space. So I think our team is better with Bush, um, with Hyde, although I love Gore. But uh, I think now that things have settled with the coaching staff, um, as long as we get those young guys to fill in those defensive positions, I think we're going to be okay. Well, we got about two minutes left. I know that you've had some conversations with Matt about possibly doing a San Francisco 49er weekly show. Absolutely, and we're working on that now, and hopefully we'll get that solidified, and we'll all be doing the Niner show during the fall, and and hopefully Nana Girl will, will tune in and tell all of her, you know, Nana friends and fans uh, that we're going to make it happen, and hopefully we'll get a contingent of fans listening to the show. Yes, yeah, sir. I would also we'll like to happen. announce, I would also like to announce in the fall we will also have a Cincinnati Bengals show because they made the playoffs <laughs> last year and the Niners didn't. And former Bengals <laughs> linebacker from Super Bowl Twenty Three, Joe Kelly, will be our co-host with that one. And then we've got former Pittsburgh Steeler, Jacksonville Jaguar, Miami University offensive lineman Leon Searcy will be in every Wednesday night to pick all the NFL games with myself, Matt, and Joe Rodriguez, who's our co-host sometimes. He's on the Tuesday night boxing show. Um, Speaking of the Tuesday night boxing show, we'll have John the Iceman Scully next Tuesday, fought for the light heavyweight title a couple times, is now one of the lead boxing analysts at ESPN. And the week after that, we will have former middleweight champion Kelly Pavlik. Uh, Dexter, it was great having you on the show tonight. Great guest, um, even though it is about the 49ers. At least it wasn't about the 49ers that beat my Bengals in the Super Bowl. So, Matt, you got any final comments? I uh, appreciate you having. Appreciate you being here, Dexter. Uh, I always uh, enjoy listening to all the stuff I grew up watching. Just really great getting a perspective from the locker room and someone who played on those teams. All right, absolutely. We have more. Uh, we have more evenings just like this right here, my man. 
That's well, I think right. we could have made this about a four-part interview anyways because we still got about 20 questions, I think, to ask. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, hey and, and, and as you can see, I've got a whole lot more answers, too. <laughs> there you go. That's what we like is guests with answers because guests with no answers is very boring. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But, that's true. Hey, I look forward so remember to it, next Tuesday. Yeah, remember, next Tuesday night, Grilling Truth Boxing Show, John Scully. Next Thursday night, the NFL show. A guest will be announced in the next day or two for that one. So for Matt Andrews Scavage, I'm Mike Goodpaster. This was the Grueling Truth. Catch us the same time next week. <laughs>